We are going to uh, look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, today. So if you have a Bible, some of you read the Bible on your phone or that handheld electronic device that you occasionally use as a phone that also has all the other, has your whole life on it. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians, chapter 2. There's also some black hardcover Bibles in the pew that you're sitting in. I would love for us all to follow along in Ephesians chapter 2 today. The goal for us would be to follow along. We're going to be there the whole message. And just uh, maybe if you have your own Bible with us, mark it up, write a few notes. And even this week as you are um, spending the time in in prayer and reading the Bible that you could read through Ephesians chapter 2 a couple of times. There are some great verses in here. There's a passage in here that... Um, as I was reading this week, just thinking, that's a great passage that we should all just memorize, and we're going we're gonna to read it together in a little bit. But uh, we started a series called Spiritual Blessings a couple weeks ago, and uh, last week, Stephen, Pastor Stephen preached as Christy and I were out of town. He did an awesome job. We have a great youth ministry here. If you have a student that is yet to connect with our youth group on Sunday nights and other events throughout the week, was that a clap? Did someone clap? Okay, this is, see, this is, this is what I'm talking about. We want to feel that everyone's awake, so we're going to start, we're going to rewind that, and we're not going to make it weird, but we're just going to be authentically excited about our youth group. So, Pastor Stephen spoke last week, and he did an awesome job, and we have a... <laughs> okay, that might have been a little over the top, but we're, we're working on it. Uh, and then two weeks ago, um, Christy started this series talking about spiritual blessings in the book of Ephesians. Um, and actually, I said that we're going to spend the whole time in Ephesians 1. I lied. I want to give you just a couple verses, or Ephesians 2. But Ephesians 1, I, this is what set up this whole sermon series. It's the idea of the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And so the, the letter that Paul, the, this book of Ephesians, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus. And it starts out, and I'm just going to read kind of the intro to chapter 1. I don't even know if we have them on the screen. But it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a very standard opening. If you read a lot of the New Testament, a lot of these letters, they're going to start similar way. It says, who's writing it? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who it's for, to God's holy people in Ephesus. And then they always have a, a very similar greeting, a, very, uh, a greeting that was very common in that day and age amongst people who were believers in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 3, and this is where this whole sermon series came out of. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Christy started this series a couple weeks ago, talking about this idea of spiritual blessings. What are the spiritual blessings? What is Paul talking about here? When he says, praise be to God who has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And so what is a spiritual blessing? And Christy did such a great job setting this up a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about this. When we think of the blessings that we have, and it's fitting that we're leading into Thanksgiving because we'll spend a lot of time thinking about the things that we are thankful for. How have we been blessed? And we'll come up with a lot of great things. We're blessed to live in a great country where we are free. We're blessed to live in a prosperous country. We're blessed that we have family or friends that on Thanksgiving Day, for the most part, we can put food on the table and provide for our families. We are blessed. But this is not what Paul is talking about. These are not the spiritual blessings because what Paul is saying is you have been blessed through Christ Jesus and it's 
automatic. These blessings never go away. So all the things that we think about with blessings, oh, I'm thankful for my health, thankful that my kids, you know, like each other or that they're healthy or that we can put food on the table, that I have a job, thankful for all these things. What Paul is saying and what we're going to study today in this series is that even if those things were all taken away, our health, our finances, our relationships with our family, our ability to put food on the table, if all of those things went away, would we still be able to say that we are blessed? And what Paul is saying, what the Scripture teaches us is an unequivocal, it's a good word, right? Yes. Yes and amen to that. I hope I said it right. Yes to that. We are spiritually blessed no matter what, no matter what things around us fall apart. And these blessings that we have are automatic. Because we are united in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So today we're going to look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. And I wanted to start with verse 19, and we'll come back to that. We're going to look through the whole chapter. But verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2 really sets up the theme for today. What is the spiritual blessing that we are talking about? And Ephesians 2.19 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. What a great verse. We are citizens with God and members of His household. That is why we are blessed today. So I want to look in this message in the few minutes that we have together through Ephesians 2 and talk about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, a citizen with God in Christ Jesus. I, uh, I was at a meeting on Thursday night for the Farmington Community Education Department. So I serve on the Community Education Advisory Board, so I'm kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> and we have a meeting, and, uh, you know, by the way, Farmington's got a great, uh, you know, system of community education, all sorts of fun events and different things for your kids, classes for adults and kids. And so I, the, every time I'm at that meeting, I'm thinking, man, I... I didn't know they offered that. I should know that as a member of the board. So, uh, but it's lots of great events, so I, I was thinking of ways that we as a church could get involved um, with some of our community ed uh, classes and opportunities. But I was on my way to this meeting, and it was at the, is it the, the Farmington Elementary, the building right over there? Is it the ISC or Farmington Elementary, whatever the old Farmington building is? So they're renovating it now. The building was there, and I was walking through the hallway, and they have all these classes going on. And one of the classes I walked by had, a, had a, a sign on the door, ESL, or English as a Second Language class. And so there was a gentleman in there who uh, was learning English. So this guy looked like he must be in his mid-50s, okay? And he was sitting there, and his teacher, he had two teachers across the table, and they were going through flashcards. And this gentleman was learning English vocabulary. So I just paused. I didn't want to be creepy and stare too long. But I, lo I, I was just struck by this guy who's learning English at an older age, and if you're like me, once you hit 40, you realize it's hard to learn anything new, right? The hard drive is full, and so it's hard to put new information in there. If I try to learn a new language, I forget the names of my children. It's just one of those things. I gotta delete stuff to make room for more stuff. Um, so he was learning, and so they would hold up a flashcard, and he said, balloon, or you know, whatever the flashcard said, and the teachers went, good, good for you, and he had this smile on his face. He's learning English, and so I, I, uh, <clears throat> I went into the, to the meeting, and the community education director, I said, that is awesome. That class is awesome, and she said, oh, that man is great. He's, you know, he's obviously new to the country. He's pursuing citizenship, and he's learning English, and I thought, that is great. 
You know, I, I have a hard time speaking English at times, as I will make evident today. But here he is, a guy later on in life learning this new language, pursuing citizenship. I had great respect for this man, for anybody who's taking those steps, saying, I, I'm coming from another country, I'm going to start over new, I'm going to pursue citizenship, and I'm going to learn a new language. That was just a great little moment for me, watching this guy do that. There is something about citizenship is what I was thinking about, and it fit well with what we were talking about today. There's something about being in, right? Being in the group, a family, a country, being a citizen of a country. For those of you who don't know, I'm a Canadian citizen, so I don't know what it's like to be an American citizen. Maybe one day my hopes and dreams will come true. But there's something about being a citizen, part of the group, part of the family. My favorite thing, one of my favorite things about marriage, and I'll say all the nice things, and maybe Christy's watching online, is that we're together, we're committed, we're in. I never have to worry about, is she, does she really like me? Are we, you know, is, we're in, we're connected, right? When I was dating girls in high school, it was always that weird, like, are they going to just get tired of me one day and move on? Like, I love, that's my favorite part of marriage, we're in. There's something powerful about being in, being in the group, in the country, part of the citizenship. People spend lots of time and energy trying to earn their way into a certain group, right? If you're in school, you know what it's like. Maybe there's that group of people that maybe you're a part of, you wish you weren't a part of, or you would like to be a part of that group of people. We spend lots of time and energy trying to earn our way into a group or to be seen as a part of a group. And the spiritual blessing that we have in Christ is that we are in with God. We are in. He calls us citizens we're in. This is good news. We are in with God. We were once out, and now we are in, and it is a spiritual blessing that is automatic. So um, as we look in the book of Ephesians, you know, Christy preached on this a couple weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is just setting up the idea of the supremacy of Christ. Christ died for us, and he is now exalted, and God has seated him at the right hand in heaven. He is ruler over all earthly authorities. Like, it is talking about the supremacy of Christ. So that's what he sets up in Ephesians 1. So where we start today in Ephesians 2, he starts talking about us. So he's just got done talking about the supremacy of Christ, how he is exalted, high and above all creation. And then he starts here in verse 1 of chapter 2. Okay? And it starts right out, and you kind of know where he's going, right from the get-go of Ephesians chapter 2. And this will be up on the screen. It says this, As for you, talking about us people, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay, so I'm just going to leave that up there. I'm going to stop right there. So he's talking about the supremacy and how awesome Christ is. He's exalted above all creation. And as for you... Have you ever been in a moment where you're in a group? I've experienced this both in a classroom setting and in a sports locker room when the coach was talking to the team. And they start out by saying, this person here, this project or this game or whatever was great, this was great, you guys did awesome, this is awesome. And then he starts, and as for you, Jeff Kerr, and I think, oh, was I just as awesome? And I realize, no, I didn't measure up, right? Have you ever been in a situation like that? These, these people did great, and as for you... And that's what Paul is doing. Christ is exalted. He is holy. He's over all creation. And as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. 
continues on, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's a total downer, right? That's a big shift in gears from Christ is exalted, yay, and you were dead in your sins, deserving of wrath because you were following the ways of the world, right? That's a, that's a kind of a wake-up call for all the people reading this. You were dead in your sin. You lived according to the ways of the world, following the kingdom of darkness. You didn't measure up. And not by just a little bit did you not measure up. This wasn't a Christ is awesome and you're just a little bit less awesome. This is as far away as we can get. Christ is exalted and you were dead in sin. doesn't get worse than that. And we don't like this part. When we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we're reading through the scriptures, we don't like this part. We don't like to hear that we were dead in sin. We like to think, well, I wasn't that bad. I say to my teachers or my coach, I didn't play that bad. It was okay. What Paul is saying, no, no, no. It's not a, yeah, you were okay. We could, there's room for improvement. It's, you were dead. Rock bottom. That was it. But we like to minimize that part, right? We like to say, I wasn't really that bad. And this is a roadblock for many people with faith because they don't like to admit, yeah, I, I was dead in my sin. We like to think, yeah, I'm okay, because we can compare ourselves to others and think, well, I'm a better person than that person, right? And so this is why Paul is making this stark contrast, because he wants us to get over that roadblock to receive mercy. A lot of people stop there, and they say, well, I don't want to admit that I'm at fault. I was listening to a podcast this week, and the guest on this podcast was Richard Dawkins, who's a fairly well-known atheist. And not just an atheist who says, just leave me alone, I don't believe in God, but an atheist who is like combating religion. He, go, he writes a lot of books kind of proving why organized religion is phony and false. And so he was on this podcast, and he was talking about the problem with religion. And he said this, and I wrote it down. He said, here's my problem with religion. Why, would I, why do I need to believe in some mythical higher power just to be a good person, just to be a better person? And the host of the podcast is like, yeah, exactly, that's right. And I was listening, and I'm like, well, that makes, that makes sense if that's what you're trying to do. If you're trying to just be a better person, then be kind and love people and serve and give some money away. You don't need to believe in some mythical God to be a better person. However, and if that's your thought about Christianity, well, then you're probably agreeing. Like, yeah, this is all a little bit weird. But this has never been about just trying to be a better person. Right? And if, you know, if you've been through this where you've experienced the mercy of Jesus Christ, you know it's just not about being a good person. You're missing the point. And so when I listened to this podcast, I, was, I wasn't you know, arguing in my head or, or imagining that I was on the podcast too. I just thought, well, that's, that makes sense if that's what you're trying to do, but that's missing the point. We're not trying to be better people. Christianity is not a, a self-improvement, personal self-help thing or a crutch that we use during hard times. That's not the point. The point is this. We were dead in our sin. We were dead in our sin. Not quite, it wasn't that we weren't quite measuring up. We were dead. There was the commentary I read, and this is going to be up, and this is the pick-me-up for the morning. Okay, can we put that next slide up? This is what the commentary said about this verse. We were wallowing in the misery of unregenerate lostness, 
deserving of wrath. And I read that and I said, well, that's, a, that's like a mission statement right there. We should put that on the back of our homestead cards, right? We are undeserving, we are unregenerately lost, deserving of wrath. Here, come to Homestead Church, right? It's not a real, like, marketing plan. But this is what this commentary said about those verses. We were dead in our sin. And what Paul is teaching us is saying this. Until you recognize it, there's a roadblock to mercy and receiving that spiritual blessing of citizenship with God. Um, there's a couple examples of this in the Scripture. In the Old Testament, there's the story of the children of Israel and Pharaoh, and Moses comes and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so Moses says, okay, God's going to send all the plagues. And so the water turns to blood, and the livestock is killed, and then the locusts. And then there's one. One of the plagues is the frogs, where the frogs come and cover the ground and everything. I mean, just imagine your world covered in frogs. That sounds terrible, Right? covered in frogs, on your dinner table, in your bed, everywhere. And, uh, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, okay, well, clearly this is going to be the one that causes you to smarten up, right? Your whole world is covered in frogs, so let my people go. And Pharaoh says, if you know the story, he says, ah, uh, how about tomorrow? How about tomorrow we let the people go? So what he's saying is, I'm okay with the frogs. I'm okay, you know, we'll spend one more night with the frogs. It's not, it's not that bad yet. It could be worse, Right? He's saying, give me one more night. Tomorrow we'll consider it. He hadn't recognized what was really happening. Jesus tells the story in the New Testament of the prodigal son, the son that goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. I want my share of the inheritance, and I'm leaving you, and, I, and he goes, and he just parties it away. He lives in wild living. He squanders his wealth, and then a famine hits, and he, the only thing he can do to survive is be a servant in this other guy's house where he feeds the pigs, and he finds himself wanting to eat the food that he is feeding the pigs. Up until that moment, he hadn't quite realized that he was lost. I'm sure he thought, oh, it's not that bad yet, it's not that bad yet. But everybody in these stories finally gets to the point where they realize, okay, this is bad. This is rock bottom. And finally, the prodigal son realizes, I'm here sitting with the pigs wishing that I could eat their food. It doesn't get any worse than this. And the story goes, he returns to the prodigal father. He returns to the father, is united with his father. Until we get to that point where we realize we are dead in our sin, it's a roadblock to mercy, right? Many people are still wallowing around in their sin, not realizing that they're lost. They haven't, like the prodigal son, they haven't come to their senses yet. Like Pharaoh, they're saying, that's fine. I'll, I'll live with the frogs. I'll live with all the, all the burdens that I've put on myself. They downplay their sin, and we all have done this. And the more we downplay our sin and lostness, the less we need mercy, in other words, forgiveness doesn't mean much when you don't think you need to be forgiven. Someone ever said to you, I forgive you, and you're thinking, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't need your forgiveness, right? If, um, since Christy's not here, I can tell this story. This is a good one. Um, Christy and I occasionally will have a fight, like maybe once a year or something like that. No, that's not right. We recently were in an argument and uh, really, the theme of most arguments, eventually, Christy and I get to is, well, who, who was more wrong, right? Or who, who offended the other person worse? And so, you want to know that the worst thing I can say in those moments, when, we're, when the heat of the fight is still going on, when tempers are high, the worst thing I can say is, Christy, I forgive you, right? 
she's going to get mad. When she thinks I'm at fault and I say, Christy, I forgive you. It's okay. It sounds pretty patronizing, and it, it is in that moment. <laughs> it's just a way of saying, I'm, I'm going to admit that you're wrong, and I'm going to forgive you, right? So the, the, the more we downplay our wrongness and lostness, forgiveness doesn't really mean a lot because we're like, I didn't really need forgiveness. Does that make sense? We didn't think we needed forgiveness. We're going to continue on Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul continues on. After he sets this up about you are dead in your sin, you were lost, and then this is the great passage of Scripture, which I think we should all just memorize. Verse 4 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we were dead in our sin. It is by grace you have been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works. You didn't earn it so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, he, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Paul is writing to his readers so that they would understand, they would understand the value of mercy. The value of mercy. This is not a situation where we went from getting a B to getting an A. This is not a situation of where we were good, but now we're better. We went, we, it wasn't a situation where we went from good to great. This was a situation where we went from death to life, right? It doesn't get much more extreme than that. We went from death to life. We went from wallowing in our sin to seated at, with God in the heavenly realms, a citizen with God. That is amazing. It is a gift that has been given to us. And when we understand our lostness, we understand the greatness of the spiritual blessing of being a citizen with God. Amen? We understand how wonderful that is. And it's a gift. We didn't do it on our own strength. We didn't behave good enough to earn it. Nobody can boast saying, well, I'm, I'm a Christian because I was a good person. Nobody can boast. So when we understand this, and I want to just talk about a couple of things how to apply this today in the few minutes I have left. What I get from this is when we read the contrast between Christ is exalted, we are dead in our sin, but yet because of Christ, He forgave us mercy even when we were dead in our sins, and now we are citizens in God's house with Him. When I hear that, I think of two words, and these are going to be up on the screen. There's humility and there's unity. Humility, unity. That's what we're going to talk about for a few more minutes. First thing I want to talk about is humility. When Paul says it's a gift that nobody earned and you can't boast about it, that causes us to be humble because we know we didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We're not better than anybody else. We got a problem in our Christian culture where the Christians are walking around thinking we're better than everybody else. You didn't earn it. You were dead in your sin just like everybody else. So there is a humility that comes. It wasn't easier for God to forgive any of us than anybody else, right? It wasn't that God had to save up his you know, energy to forgive the really bad people, but people in here were easy. That's not it. That's not it at all. 
It was a gift. The only way to think that you are somehow more deserving of God's mercy is to think that there's somebody less deserving of God's mercy. And that's not the case, right? That's not the case. When we start thinking of that, that's the opposite of humility, which is why Paul set the table the way he did in the first verse. In case it, was super, in case it wasn't super clear for everybody reading, you were dead in your sin, all of us, which eliminates any kind of arrogance, any kind of puffed-up Christian swagger like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I was a good person. I'm a better person than that person. I deserved mercy. The only response when we understand our lostness and Christ's mercy is just humility. It's humility. We didn't earn it, right? We didn't earn it. The second thing is unity. There's humility and there's unity. And I wanted to read verse 11 through 13, the same chapter, 11 through 13. It says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at a time that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So Paul is saying, remember that you were excluded. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is telling the people, remind yourselves that you were lost. Don't forget about that. Don't forget that you were lost. And keep remembering where you came from. He did this in the Old Testament after the Israelites escaped from Egypt. God said to them, keep remembering you were once in Egypt. Don't ever forget where you were so that you will always appreciate where God has brought you. Now, in those verses I just read, Paul uses some examples and some language which don't really make sense to us today. We don't really use that language much today, but it's certainly in this culture, it it applied to his audience. He talks about the circumcision and those who were uncircumcised. So we're not really going to spend too much time talking about circumcision and uncircumcision today. I understand that in our men's Bible study on Thursday night, which we have junior high, high school, and older guys in this men's Bible study, that the question of what circumcision came up, and uh, maybe some of the junior hires offered their answers, and the colonel who was leading that Bible study said, and then we were off and running, because that was, that was what the conversation was about for a while. Right? Yeah, yeah I, know, I know, I know you had the right answer. I will not ask you to repeat that answer here in church this morning. Um, Paul uses this example because in this culture, this was the ultimate division. This was the dividing line in this culture. This was a sign in the Old Testament. Circumcision was a sign that you were a son or a descendant of Abraham. You were in. That was how you showed that you were a part of God's covenant and God's relationship with the people of Israel. Right? So that was it. And if you were an outsider, or in the Bible, a New Testament, you would call it a Gentile, you were uncircumcised, uncircumcised. And this was the dividing line. This was you were in or you were out. And so Paul is using these words to say, remember, so in our language today, remember you were outsiders. You were excluded. You had no business belonging. In the temple, when this would have been written, in the temple there was actually a dividing wall. 
in the temple where the Jewish people could go, those who were part of circumcision, those who were in with God, and then they had a wall, and there was a separate area for the Gentiles or the outsiders. They couldn't even come and offer a sacrifice to God together. This was a division. And Paul is telling his readers, you were once like those who were uncircumcised. You were once like those who were on the outside, excluded. Remember, you were outside this relationship with God separate from God, living without citizenship with God, without a home, without hope. Imagine being homeless. Imagine not having a country that you are a citizen of or you could go, right? This is what Paul is saying. These are the languages. He's saying there was this division and you were on the outside. Don't forget that. But then in verse 14, I love this verse. After he says, you were once far away, but now you've been brought near, verse 14 says this, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I love that verse. The dividing wall of hostility. Any division that was there, Jesus has destroyed it. So that's why we're talking about unity. Another word is enmity or active opposition, active hostility, this dividing wall of hostility where there was two distinct groups Insiders, outsiders, reason for division, reason for hostility, reason for enmity or active hostility. And we can think about that in our culture today, right? There's lots of reasons, lots of dividing walls we have in our culture where we decide you're with us, you're with them. Pretty much every issue that we face, there's a dividing wall that says, well, you're with us and you're with them. There is dividing walls, and Jesus came and he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. There is no reason, and here's the point, there is no reason for disunity amongst believers in Jesus Christ. There's no reason for disunity amongst the church, in the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no reason to be not united with your brother and sister. Because what reason could there possibly be for division that compares to what Christ has done for all of us. He's brought all of us from death to life. Imagine this you know, group, this side and this side, we were actively hostile towards each other for whatever reason. Because that dividing wall has been torn down, what reason could we come up with that would measure up in saying Christ has brought all of us from death to life? So what else could there be for us to be mad about, right? It's like taking your kids on a dream vacation. All their hopes and dreams are coming true, and they're fighting about it, you know, who gets to ride shotgun on the way to the convenience store. And you would say, how is it possible that you could find a reason to fight when we are here in the greatest situation ever? That's the point that Paul is making. When we recognize what Christ has done, there's no reason for a dividing wall to be put up. That wall in the temple separating the Jew from the Gentile. The wall in, the, in the, the Holy of Holies that separated the presence of God from the people. Those are torn down. Those are torn down. There is no dividing wall. So what Paul is saying to us today, applying it to our world, is this. We are no longer defined by our differences. Jesus has torn down the dividing wall. And what a great picture I love that. The walls that used to define and divide are no longer there. So we apply that today to a united church saying, the walls that could be there in other parts of our culture, race, gender, religion, economics, politics, all pale in comparison to the unity, the unity that we have as recipients of mercy and citizens of God. 
Amen? There's nothing that we could say to divide us that measures up to what we are united in as children and citizens with God. Jesus is the ultimate unifier, which over the next year, leading up to election day, it's hard to believe it's only one year away, folks, the election, we will have ample opportunity to practice this. Jesus is the ultimate unifier. Amen? Nothing, there's nothing that should divide, bring disunity in the church because we are unified in Christ. Jesus brings us in, and that's what unites us. We are citizens with him, and that's what unites us. Jesus teaches about this in the Gospel of John. Just a quick verse from John 17. It says this, John 17, verse 23. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus, what he's saying is he's comparing the unity of believers to the unity that he, that he has with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and the unity that now is brought between the people and Jesus. He's saying all of these things, I in, what does it say? I in them and you in me, so that there could be complete unity. And then what does it say? Then the world will know that you sent me. So not only is a united church good because it helps us all you know, get along, this is how the world will know that Jesus was the Son of God, when his church is united. That is sobering there, that when there is division in a church, when there's two believers that can't get along, that can't get over their differences, what the world looks at, and the world says, well, the whole thing seems phony to me. If you guys can't be united, that's what Jesus taught, so that then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity amongst Christ followers isn't just a nice idea, but it's how others will see that God is real. And then Paul wraps this up, and we'll wrap this up in verse 19. Consequently, and we started the service with this, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. This is our spiritual blessing that never leaves us. Citizenship with God. We are in with God. And when you are part of the church, you're part of this house, this family of God, you're in with us. We're a family. You don't have to earn your way in. If you're a visitor today and you're thinking, well, I could never come to this church. My life doesn't measure up to this. Well, that's not the point at all. You can be part of this family. We are together following after Christ. It's all about we were all dead in our sin, and because of Jesus Christ, he's given us mercy. And that's what unites us. It doesn't matter what you've been or where you've been or what you've done with your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through now. We are united in Christ because we are recipients of his mercy. If you are here today and you want to receive that mercy, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I receive your mercy. But it's not an issue of, I'm pretty good and I want to be better. It's, Jesus, I admit that I am dead in my sin without hope, but I want to receive mercy and it is a gift of God offered to you through Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive it today. Acknowledge your sin and receive it. This is our spiritual blessing, and it's a guarantee. It's a sure thing. It doesn't waver. When life falls apart, when your life is shaky or your confidence or your peace or your joy is, is shaken because your world is falling apart, you know that your confidence and joy and peace is not shaken because that is a sure thing. You are in with God. You are a citizen with God. You are a part of the family of God. You have a place of honor with God because of Jesus Christ. And then Paul finishes it up in verse 20 through 22, and I'll finish with this. I'm saying I'll finish with this a lot. 
I've heard it said, just tell people in conclusion every once in a while. It doesn't mean anything. It just gives them a little bit of hope. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing today. I'm wrapping this up for real with verse 20. Built on, the, and this is Paul describing this family, this foundation, this house that is being built from people who are in Christ. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It is anchored in Jesus Christ. In him, the whole building, all of us together, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a great picture of what we get to be a part of as the church. This, this building that is being built together, this, this temple, all of us being built together as people. It's not a building, it's people being built together in unity where God's spirit is going to dwell. This is what we get to be a part of. So how does that affect your life this week? You know, we've read all this stuff about spiritual blessings and citizenship and humility and unity. How does that affect your life this week? Well, I already mentioned it. If you're still wallowing in lostness, then recognize your deadness and sin and receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. Then you are a citizen with God. Maybe the application for you is you are shaken in your life. Your confidence and peace are shaken because you are looking to all sorts of other things to find security or inclusion. I wonder what areas of uncertainty or fear or anxiety would fade away if we truly had an understanding of the blessing that comes because we are citizens with God. We are in. We don't have to strive. We don't have to prove. We don't have to do anything. We are in. So maybe the practical application for you is to just recognize the most important thing in your life is unshaken. It's there. But a practical application for all of us are back to those two words that I talked about, humility and unity. We just need to have unity and humility. Unity and humility. That should be what flows out of us as a result of this grace that we've received. We act with unity and we act with humility. When we're dealing with fellow believers, fellow Christians, we act with unity, right? We act with unity. We are all here because of mercy. We were all lost, dead. We can all say that. We were all on an equal level of dead, right? It's a pretty binary thing, dead. We were all there in our sin, and now we are citizens in God. So there's no room for division. There's no room for disunity. So when we're dealing with fellow believers, we have unity. We're all here because of mercy. And when we're dealing with non-believers, people who are not part of the family, we have humility, right? We have humility. When we're dealing with Christians, we have unity. When we're dealing with non-Christians, we have humility because we didn't earn it. We can't look at them and say, What's the, what are you doing with your life? When are you going to smarten up? Because we were there. We're, we were all dead in our sin. There's no arrogance that comes. There's no room for arrogance to say, well, I was more deserving I was more deserving of forgiveness than you. No, we have humility. We have humility, and we simply serve, and we love. There's no room for judgment or arrogance. There's plenty of that going around in the church world. There's unity, and there's humility, amen? That's what I want this church to be all about. That's what I want this family to be all about. This is the spiritual blessing we have in Christ, that we were out, and we are in, and that is never shaken, amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you have done all of these things for us. Because of your mercy, 
Because of your price that you paid on the cross, we who were dead in sin, even while we were in active rebellion against you, you died for us so that we could be in with God. We could receive mercy and forgiveness that our eternity, that our spot with you is secure. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, for those who have yet to make that decision today, I pray that you would stir their heart. Maybe there's people here who still think, Ah, they're doing fine on their own. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just knock on their heart and say, you're dead in sin and you need a Savior. So I pray that those who are here today that need to do that would acknowledge that they are lost and receive your mercy today. And I pray for all of us as we go through our life this week, in every encounter, whether it's at school or at work or at home, with family, with classmates, with employers, employees, or strangers that we meet at the store, that Every act that we would have as children of God would be just covered in humility and unity. Humility and unity. That's what you call us to do. We didn't deserve it, and we are so grateful for your mercy and grace. So help us to live that out with grateful hearts to those who reach out to those who are lost and point them to you. So that's what we want to do. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.